the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN Plus 32 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts work you can find over at MMA Junkie as well as LineMovement.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast. We break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight because I am breaking this down. West Coast time, about 9.30 a.m. Fighters are way hitting the scales. Um, like the 10 fighters I've seen hit the scales uh, have made weight, so let's see. I mean, like last week, it's been kind of crazy uh, up until and even into the live broadcast in these pandemic-era fights. So it almost, I dare say, makes more sense to be later than my normal Thursday uh, targeted releases for these breakdown shows in this era. And couple that with the excuse of it's my birthday, uh, I will be late if I want to. So thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you all. Uh, thanks for the birthday love um, that I, I woke up to this morning. Um, I'm not much of a birthday person, to be honest. So I won't wax about that. Even as a kid, you know, I was really lucky to have some normal... Some normalcy in my childhood, you know, some abnormalcy for damn sure, but th- there was some normalcy too, man. I'm not trying to play no violins here. Um, and, uh, you know, like I remember even having like this one birthday party where all the kids from my Taekwondo c- school came and rented out a, a room in the bowling alley. The parentals did at the time. And I was like, why are these people here? Why are they looking at me? I don't even like cake. <laughs> like, I'm just so weird and anti, like, I'm not, you know, Worthy of the attention, like just carry on with your day, please. Like, uh, and didn't understand this the psychology of low self esteem, which I clearly have. Um, so birthdays, even uh, then, and when you're a selfish uh, kid to a, a slightly evolved narcissist as an adult, uh, neither of which you know the birthdays don't really click for me too much. So, thank you, anyways. But you know, like I am with compliments and all other things, I'm just weird about that. So. Uh, let's move on, shall we? Um, if you guys would like to move on, of course, I will provide timestamps on these breakdown shows as per usual. Check them if you want to jump to the breakdown. Uh, that's timestamped or as per usual with these breakdown shows. And if you don't want to hear me, no crime, no foul. I understand you. You can skip to the very end of the episode where I recap my picks and plays. Ooh, excuse me. A little birthday burp there. I'm going to leave that one in. Fire kick, Stevie. Um, wow, <laughs> the accents are jumping everywhere. Let's see if the voice holds up, uh, and I'll try to uh, not so distractingly scroll to see if any fight is mishweight. Crazy news, Corey Anderson just went to Bellator almost as a weird trade, if you will. It's my friend Aaron Bronstetter, shout out to him, says foul that under. You did not see that coming, and as well as, uh, you know, the flyweight title, I guess, Cody Garbrandt's dropping down to face a... Devison Figueredo. So um, this isn't really a new show, so I'm not really going to get into that. But we will recap briefly 
oh so briefly the eight fights that went down on UFC Vegas 5. We went four, two, and two in picks overall. That's right. I think one was a draw. The other was just uh, the the um, uh, Holland and Jay Giles fight uh, that didn't happen. So uh, 2-0 in straight plays. Um, one in... One and bust in the draw since the fight didn't happen, but we did hit the one fight that did. And um, uh, one and zero oh in the prop uh, that I took. So let's uh, let's go to that now, shall we? Out H. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, Derek Brunson defeated Edmund Shabazian. 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 I don't know why I want to say Shabazian like I'm from Pennsylvania. Shabazian. Uh, wow, we are ranging all the fucking regional accents, aren't we, Dan, on this show? Um, yeah, man, it was just a typical... Uh, yeah, I hate spots like that, too, because it's like, you know, if you're wrong, it's going to be the... Uh, <laughs> you almost forgot, Derek. And everybody gets on there, you know Derek Brunson beat blah, blah, blah. I'm like, where were you motherfuckers beforehand, huh? Um, thankfully, um, nothing to be heard about because... Shabazian uh, is a young guy who will bounce back. I, believe it or not, didn't have trouble with the stoppage, at least from the Herb Dean side. I know we've all been jumping on Herb, and, you know, again, uh, justfully so in my mind. But that being said, you got to give credit where credit's due. He tried to do the protocols. We can argue what the protocols are bad. That's fine. We can argue the doctor could have stopped it. That's fine. We could argue that the coroner could have stopped it. That's definitely fine, uh, as I'm more... I, I, I personally lean more toward that if we're going to play the blame game, which I'm not trying to do. I'm uh, just saying that I don't think it was uh, as egregious. And uh, I think that whether you agree that Herb could have stopped it and called it off, which he kind of looked like he did, and that was a mistake for sure, a little hand wave. Um, you know, he overcorrected the steering wheel, so he clearly he was seeing what we were for once. Uh, right, <laughs> so I, I will defend him there to that extent, not completely, but you know, ease up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, now there's this controversy with the flag. I'm too ignorant to speak on it, um, so uh, I won't speak on the uh, Azerbaijani-related uh, issues there, if I even pronounce that right. Um, but yeah, also thankfully I did not play uh, Edmund. Uh, I, again, I didn't. I disagree with the line. I thought the line was disrespectful to Brunson, despite picking against him. Uh, again, folks, you don't have to pick somebody to, uh, you know, not respect him and uh, respect Brunson, man. Happy for him to get the win. Jennifer Maya defeated Joanne Calderwood. That, you know, trap fight, man. I think I wasn't the only one who smelt it. it. I think, you know, most of us who have seen how these things play out could kind of not be surprised there. Grats if you cash that. Something Luke A. Cash, part of the parlay uh, that never Got a chance to complete against Randy Brown, who made an unfortunate mistake, and uh, hopefully Randy Brown bounces back. I like Randy Brown. I do, do think he has uh, you know, upside, and um, hopefully uh, his confidence or anything isn't shook, and he can bounce back accordingly and be matched up accordingly. And Sunday Luque was a tall ass for the tall fighter. Bobby Green defeated Lando Venata. Again, telling you, the, the, these um, these multiple canary in the coal mines, you know, I'm not telling you to go to the bank with them. There's not enough of a sample size. The sample size is sketchy, but I feel like this podcast, the Line Movement MMA uh, betting podcast, shout out to my co-host Dan. Um, I think we're doing a good job of, of marking these um, marking these trends here. And uh, experienced guys, check. Guys who have the grappling edge, although I gave a lot of credit to Lando's scrambles. It's just he couldn't sustain it. And Bobby Green, 
true to form, what even you know was able to still fight to a draw on what was a bad version of him, and uh, the good version of him showed that he is the better grappler. Um, but also that kind of Nate Diaz intangible. This, this, you know, if you got that attitude intangible, you you talk to your fighter a little bit. I think that's going to be very good. We didn't get to see it with Kevin Holland last week. We'll get to see it this week, hopefully. I didn't, you know, full disclosure, didn't do much of an all tape study on Buckley. Uh, the line perhaps also kind of drew me away from that. It wasn't really playable. Just targeted what I could target this week. Um, no gi tomorrow at 10 a.m. Yeah, I could use some rolling. That'd be good. Uh, sorry, my uh, my buddy and my profesh uh, message me to roll. But yeah, um, all those uh, canaries in the coal mines um, are coming through. So um, Bobby Green, you know, I'm not gonna toot my own horn too hard, but that went that went pretty much as planned. And congrats to if he cashed the plus money. Of course, Kevin Holland uh, couldn't fight Jaga. Was he defeated? By the way, everyone's like, "What the fuck is his weird Tourette's thing?" Yeah, I, I do have that with all the weird names, but like the <laughs> the Jay got Trevin Giles. The reason why I go Jay, I, I had a friend. Um, I, don't don't want to use names in this podcast, but this isn't a big podcast. I'd rather just explain this. But I had a friend uh, growing up in high school named uh, Mike Giles. And we used to always call him Jay Giles. Jay Giles. And so now <laughs> I see this name. I just, I, you know, it's a nostalgic twitch there, I guess. But, yeah, hopefully uh, Trevin's okay, man. By all accounts, is a is a good dude. And, again, you know, being a fighter is not easy. I'm very sympathetic to that. And, and you know, his, his job ain't easy either, folks. Uh, Jonathan Martinez defeated Frankie Sines. Got that, cash that prop inside the distance. And uh, Martinez, um Probably should have been the parlay piece since he actually fought and was in that range. Uh, did end up parlaying with stuff the day of. Hopefully you did. Um, hopefully Frankie Signs is all right. But even though experience in grappling uh, goes against that, Frankie Signs again was drop uh, was stunned or stopped in four of his last six before that fight. So you know the writing was on the wall there. And you know, uh, shout out to um, Factory X again. They've been getting a lot of. Uh, wrestling looks as well and a lot of uh talented guys around that 135 or 140 <laughs> in jonathan martinez's case um so hopefully he doesn't miss weight again nathan Manis defeated johnny munoz didn't watch it closely enough to score jamal jamal oh yes jamal bolt the door if you're coming in because jamal emmers is in with a, def- with a win over vince Cachero, who is just an animal, man, uh, that Hawaiian chin. Uh, hopefully, Cachero uh, gets a full booking to come back. Chris Gutierrez uh, def- drew, drew against Cody Durden. Uh, don't hate the draw. I kind of sided with 29-28 Gutierrez. Um, the dominance was there, and I'm down for that. And considering judges don't award submission catches enough, um, I should be all for the 10-8. So in no way did I contest it. But perhaps I, I I still like to see that damage equivalent since that's how we're even scoring and hinging 10-9 rounds. I do want to see some solid damage sprinkled in. And he did get some really good stuff when he bellied out Gutierrez briefly, got off some good punches. Not saying he didn't damage him. But perhaps my initial watch, and I would feel different if I watched again, which I have not. Uh, yeah. So that wraps that card. Uh, I'm not going to go over the results. Dana White Contender Series, just say that like, you guys can see my grading the winning winner articles. Thanks for uh, clicking and checking on those at MMA Junkie. Going to be doing those as per usual. No preview show because, again, that required like three of us being clear to go over there. And now it's only like one. And uh, 
poor John's got to freaking quarantine the whole day and uh, uh, and even be away from his family even more. Shout out to him and Kenny, by the way, MMA Roadshow. Uh, support those guys, as well as uh, my dudes over there, the Triple G Show, as well as MMA Junkie Radio, Gorgeous Georgian Goes. Just some of the good dudes who've been in the been in the game for a minute and uh, and uh, always uh, uh, always been great to me. So I appreciate them. Um, yeah, uh, but I just will say I didn't agree with that bantamweight fight. Um, you know. Again, you know, Rivera had some submission catches too, but I thought Luis Rodriguez, uh, I just liked his um, wrestling IQ, you know, especially coming from the region he does in Mexico. You're, not, you're getting stereotyped that you can't do that, and he's out there doing it, so I was really impressed with that. Um, the only reason I bring that up is because that just was a couple days ago, and uh, we're back in the same facility, and... Just a reminder of the judges and Nevada State Athletic Commission, you know, between them still chasing down fighters for weed, which is stupid, um, to just, you know, providing really bad officials and showing no accountability. But, you know, tacking it onto the fighters, it's just been kind of a bummer. And uh, I don't want to do a bummer note or anything like that or get too far into it, but it's my birthday and I can talk about fighters getting screwed if I want to. Um, but yeah, just seeing how the fighters were treated with the show monies and stuff didn't um, didn't sit well either, man. Like I get certain principles and certain protections and budgets and all that, but I feel like it, you know if we're if 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 Dana and the promotion is going to bump its chest, which they should deserve credit for, and I and my colleagues who get accused of wanting to stop the UFC shows have been giving them credit for this every step of the way, folks. This podcast I've been giving them credit for. But if they want to use that, it just would be nice to just compensate the fighters a bit extra. It's a pandemic era, and all the protocols seem to be lax on the way out as far as sending these fighters home. Um, back to their families, the ones that do test positive, and risking that and traveling and doing all the things they do. And yeah, they're getting booked on the back end, but it's like 10000 isn't too much, especially for a guy like Ed Herman, dude, and he's been around freaking forever, like... I think he's getting fifty and fifty or some shit. Like he should be getting at least a hundred, you know, six figures to show. And then, like I heard an interview which I didn't mention on the podcast. I forgot to. Probably was with James Lynch, but he was like, he's still not in the freaking video game, dude. Ed Herman, the guy's been in the UFC for freaking feels like almost twenty years. He's, you can't put him in the game. Any of the iterations. And if these guys get don't get turned around, like some of them, are, I'm, I'm not seeing till late September or October. They're not getting turned around till now. They have to go back into another camp. Like y'all realize how much these camps cost, and how much these fighters are already in debt, and they're depending on the fucked up structure, like for the win bonus. Like it's it's fucked up, man. Like um, you know, sh shouts to you know another colleague out there, Luke Thomas. You know, he, he, forget how he put it, but yeah, all the power brokers. Stand to game by effing the fighters, and it sucks, man. It sucks. Um, especially because they're having, you know, relative to the fights we're about to break down, folks. I'm not trying to, you know, get off track here and be that podcast and try to stick to the analysis. I really, really do, but it's just, it's, it's, it's really hard to swallow these things when it just, you see what these guys fucking sacrifice. And um, with these short notice bookings that we're breaking down, apropos, it's like they're being asked to come in and make these crazy weights like we'll talk about with uh, my boy Justin Janes, you know. 
Um, and a lot of these fighters are getting denied the extra week, and you can kind of see why because, like, like look at the Jim Miller and um, Vince Michelle fight. Like, he gets added like in a week with a week and a half. Like, what the heck? Like, even if like let's even be generous and say these fighters have a couple weeks, three weeks out, the, the UFC says we don't have an opponent, but be ready for this date. Let's let's give them benefits of the doubts behind the scenes here. Even then, it's like a lot of these fighters need that full prep time to make their weight. Now, with that being said, as I'm as I'm as I'm getting out my sympathy violin, I'm no angel, folks, because the devil on the other side of me, apropos of the breakdown, you know, one of my canaries in the coal mine, looking maybe to fade a lot of the fighters, having to cut a lot of weight, because again, they're they're having to be asked these big asks, and they're really you know good fighters, you know. Um, Good people who I wouldn't accuse of cheating, like wide men, you know, who would kill himself to make the weight and etc. You know, we'll get to. Um, But even if they aren't, even if they're a guy who's looking to miss weight, like it's some kind of advantage. Like it's not, folks. Like the UFC, in case you haven't noticed, between the pay to the firing of both people, you know, that work for them in the cage and out of it. um, I don't want to go too too far down a canary in a coal mine here, but. You know, put my tinfoil hat on, but like, yeah, let's just say it's, or let's just say it's fair to say that the leniency is not at a high right now. The leash does not have a lot of slack that they're holding. So if I'm a fighter, I'm not counting on keeping my job from from a mess up, a loss of this or that, you know? Dana was saying, you know, uh, you know, we didn't fight, we didn't fire anybody in this pandemic. But again, they they, they fired some people. Again, the Shabazian thing, um, perhaps another thing. I won't get into it, but here, there's a plug for the MMA Roadshow. Um, you know, and, uh, other they're longtime employees uh, or just, you know, even fighters themselves now, which is kind of going against his word in a way. Like, uh, shouts to my dude Aaron Bronstad who just did an interview with Dana White. It was like, he was like, yeah, we're cutting people, not as much. Because it's good to have a thick roster. Because again, they know they, they they need people to feel these shows, and that's the hard part. It's like, okay, folks, yeah, you can be be happy that you know you the the MMA fiends who love it every weekend and say people like me who cry over saturation. Hey, okay, you guys win. How does it feel to be the winner? Do you guys do you guys feel it? Does it feel nice? Does it feel nice to have all these fights and all these storylines trampled and fighters not getting paid or even if they are getting paid and having performances somehow with even more odds stacked against them? Um, their shine is being swallowed by the next show. And while all you know, uh, you know, it's just it's tough, man. It sucks when you see how the sausage is made. So let's let's get to the analysis, folks. Otherwise, I'm going to. Uh, Bum myself out here. Um, Bellator 243 is going down tonight. I'm not going to get too much into that because um, every, some people might be listening to this when it already doesn't happen. I got a main card breakdown that should be dropping on MMA Junkie any time now. Um, I thought maybe it would drop last night, but hopefully it should drop today, this morning. Basically taking Chandler, who's a minus 230 favorite over um, Benson Henderson. 19 minutes, Bellator. Uh, and, uh, yeah, um, it's a three-round fight, so that ensures the gas tank for Chandler. I think he's going to do it by decision. Not sure he gets the finish. Um, took Timmy Johnson. Um, Timmy Johnson, who uh, I sprinkled on him at plus 100. Money came in on him. Now he's minus 103. Where Matt Mitrion is still holding as the favorite, minus 117. 
Um, Mitch Jones hasn't faced too many southpaws. Excuse me. Uh, whereas Tim Johnson, I believe, has more experience against them professionally, uh, as well as in the gym. You know, he's been an extreme, extreme couture training with Roy Nelson, who's not a southpaw, but Blagoy Ivanov, who is when he was there. Um, just you know, you know, or just training with like guys like Ninganu, who can also go southpaw. Just training with Ninganu in general. Um, so I thought that was worth a shot. Otherwise, I took the favorites. I, I'm I'm rooting for Georgie Karakanyan because I don't hate on fighters. I just want another thing to be sympathetic. But I I don't know why. I'll just say like some fighters just seem like really just douchey. Maybe that's not the case. I know a lot of fighters I'm friendly with who are friends with this guy. So I don't want to be a dick, but something about Fury Jerry. Uh, but yeah, I ended up picking Miles Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Dan, why did out yourself? Just being honest, folks, for better or worse, I'm sure he's a really nice guy, and I'm glad he dropped the jury jiu-jitsu thing. And, uh, he, you know, he could be fun to watch when he's on. But, uh, see, so I picked him, you know. Can't hate I, I ain't hating on him. I picked him. Uh, Curtis Melender, minus 350, a little wide, but I get it, you know, against Saba, the stripper Homasi, plus 290. Um, Saba, yes. No, it's going to be a fun fight. Uh, Borix, big favorite against Mike Hamill. Mike Hamill. Uh, AJ Azagarm, Chris Lencioni. Slight favorite. Valerie Lareda, fighting the stereotypes. Uh, <laughs> Graf. Yeah, um, I know a Dung's back. Hey, look at that. And yeah, that's, uh, that's Bellator, folks. Uh, I'm going to do a quick pause here. And, you know, yeah, on that beat... Take a quick break and we come back. Gonna break down quickly UFC on ESPN Plus 32 right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we're back, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for UFC on ESPN Plus 32, breaking down the card from top to bottom. Um, let's blow through this, shall we? Off the top of the card, it is a heavyweight affair. Heavyweight affair, Derek Lewis, minus 185, Alexi Sexy Olenek, plus 160. Olenek weighed in at 227 again. As uh, this morning, as he weighed in last time against uh, Travis Brown, where he looked svelte and uh, he looked much tighter, tighter than the torso. David Graham, what are you doing here? Um, that's not even how he sounds, Dan. Uh, but <laughs> the last time Olenek weighed two twenty-seven was uh, against Jeff Munson back in uh, twenty twelve in an M one fight. So even though the guy competed at middleweight, so that shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but that's just kind of a, for instance, he did the Derek Lewis thing and he kind of got up to the 240s, got heavy. Uh, whereas actually the Derek Lewis thing was like go, like being in the 230s, if you look at him hitting like ninja arm bars on Raheem Cleveland back in the day, you see remnants of that where he's still kind of in the 240s um, when he makes his UFC debut. But from what I'm guessing, and even to his own admission, what was a slew of back injuries that he left unattended, worked through and compounded, uh, just gained the weight and sat and fought there um, and kind of developed that 
sand shark laying in wait style of countering on the feet to the get ups on the floor to the reversals and grounded pounds. Late hurrah hurrahs uh, that he's known to get at heavyweight. Now he's in better shape, and although he is not a process-driven fighter, I do dare say he has shown more process in what has been more uh, consistent cardio-looking uh, performances as well against uh, Ali Latifi and Blagoy, even off. Um, Jesus, Dan. Uh, but, uh, you know, so so there's that. Um, so they're both, you could say they're both uh, coming into this fight looking in better shape. That being said, I, I, this ain't going even the three-round distance, I don't think, much less the five that it's scheduled for. Um, basically, uh, it's it's tough. When I look at, like, the, the Lewis does get taken down. But it's funny. All the takedowns are the same. Like, unless it's, like, a guy who knows how to single leg, which is really effective at heavyweight, like Daniel Cormier, for all the reasons that Daniel Cormier says, making big guys balance. Aside from that, they're all clench takedowns. They're all outside um, trip takedowns. It's like the same one. Um, Roy Nelson hits it over and over again. You just keep going back to his career. That's like the same one he gets hit with. And Olenek can do that takedown. Um, he's not yet executed one in the UFC. And so in recent years, like last four or five years or whatever, um, that style. That being said, does that mean he can't take Derek Lewis down another way? Of course not. Uh, Derek Lewis could fall down, throw in a knee or a kick. Um, Olenek, the good part about porous defense and using your chin uh, in face blocking, <laughs> as we used to say in karate, Olenek, master of the face block, um, has got it down. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Is that when you commit to going forward, yeah, you're going to open yourself up to, to harsh weather. But when a fighter kicks out of position or even in position sometimes when you just kind of collapse it, you come into it, you're going to, they're going to keel over, especially at heavyweight. And then now you have a scramble, which isn't much of a scramble because you're at heavyweight, so you just end up on top. Um, so Olenek's got a lot of that in him too, you know what I'm saying? Uh that being said, like on the feet, I, I, you know, unless, you know, Lewis, which Walt Harris, if you look, kind of hits a, a switch knee, but he doesn't do it as committed, and it kind of offsets Olenek. If not, hits him, doesn't really hit him clean. The left hand finishes him off. But like Lewis throws that all the time in both knee and kick form, and Olenek dips his head right in that way. So even though it's risky, I actually could see it paying off for Derek Lewis if he comes out and Fabrizio Verdooms it in the sense of just comes out with some flying shit. Um, that being said, Lewis's counter should be pretty emphatic. But Lewis, most of his power is generated on in ground and pound position, which is the sketchy thing, uh, which is why I kind of give Olenek the edge. And, you know, don't say old dogs don't learn new tricks because Olenek was out there if you go back and watch that Verdum fight. And he's doing, like, fucking Ray Robinson shit. Like, you know, like, he's doing some, like, high-level old-school boxing stuff you don't see in MMA where, like, he's not just, you know, usually Olenek will do the, the Irish collar variation, the collar tie, right? Start throwing uppercuts and waiting right hands. Like, classic uh, dirty boxing. But if you go to the Verdum fight, he's doing, like, subtly advanced shit he's pawing the hands down he's hitting the guard down to throw his shots and just kind of keeping in in that inside range where he's not collapsing the pocket but he's right there in punching range and uh he's got hands on eyes on the guard um eyes on what's coming at him and hitting it was really really impressive um that being said even though Olenek is game over territory 
you know, you still got to look at it like, and even though I wouldn't be surprised if Lewis gets subbed, at the same time, it, I, I, I put in the breakdown, I see him surviving a few scares because it's like even Maurice Green, who is like making really bad choices and trying to submit Olenek, like was able to survive to the second round before his decisions cost him again. Um, and Lewis does do the tripod thing. Uh, it's funny. I'm like, oh, am I really going to be writing about Derek Lewis's tripod? I'm like, yep, it's coming down to it. And I know phrasing, but Derek Lewis, I think, would be proud of that phrasing, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. But a lot of people didn't get it, which is fine. It's like one of those things where it's, it's for the 0.1% people that do, for you early internet heads that remember that, I'm the juggernaut, bit. Yeah. I'm ready to... F <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stripper and I do hair. Dilla Devison Figueredo in there. It's this internet skit that's just highly inappropriate and doesn't age well from a lot of perspectives. But it's essentially like who I what I think of Derek Lewis each time. And like you watch and you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? Dan, you're sick in the head. Like all those things are very true. But the, 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 in my defense. Derek Lewis post-fight interviews, like, almost always, like, he, he's exactly that character. He's just like, you know, was Ronda Rousey's fine ass here? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he's always, it's great. Like, that's all I hear, but it's kind of all he says, you know? <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, it's time, baby. <laughs> like a raincoat. Yeah. All right, Dan, this is getting out of hand. I see his tripod. That's where I got off track, of course, the tripod. Uh, I, I, I don't see Olenek being able to take his back from there unless Lewis really fucks up. Uh, or he'll take his back, but like I think Lewis can shake him off even if he does secure it. The problem is if he gets inside control, and I'm a fan of the scarfold catch and judo stuff, so it's effective. Let me tell you that. It's one of the first positions I... I really honed in on. That being said, um, so it's not from a disrespect, but I'm just saying that I could see Olenek catching that or maybe even his Ezekiel, which Derek Lewis actually did a pretty good breakdown of how to defend it. I think it was to... Was it Aaron? I think it was to Aaron as well. If not, it was to James Lynch. Just shouting out my... Canadian brothers in the north there kill it with the interviews. Um, but yeah, I would see the scarfold actually being what, what gets Derek Lewis here. A scarfold or an armbar? More than an RNC or Ezekiel. Um, especially with Derek's thick frame. So yeah, I'll take Derek Lewis, but, uh, you know, buy a beware, as they say. Um, Chris Maidman, minus 140. Omari Ahmedov. Derek, Derek, plus 120. Jesus, Dan, that is really not appropriate. Um, <laughs> one, the guy's Russian, and two, the, come on, Dan. Uh, but <laughs> I can't help it. He's facing the All-American. America, fuck yeah. <laughs> Spreading COVID every day, yeah. <laughs> America, fuck yeah. Come on, sorry. <laughs> so, Walmart, fuck yeah, COVID, fuck yeah. Divisive politics, fuck yeah, America. Sorry, all right, I'm sorry, I'm American. Sorry, can't help it. Um, and I do like this country, and I do like Chris Weidman. 
I do. You might not be able to tell that <laughs> with how hard in the paint. <laughs> At least it felt like me, me and uh, me and me and uh, D Levy went <laughs> on the line movement MMA show. But more on this matchup, check out by the way linemovement.com for that YouTube channel, that show, as well as um, my betting sheet because Omari Makhmedov made made it on here now. You know, just like I say on that betting sheet, like you know me, I'm not the, the about the fading. You know, I know that's the that's, that's it's MMA gamblers' favorite angle is fading the old old fighter out to pasture and uh, whatnot. When these guys, you know, come through, you feel like an idiot. And boy, did I with Kelvin Gastelum because I picked Kelvin Gastelum to beat him. And although I don't think I played it, or if I did, it wasn't heavy for sure. Still, um, it's not about the bet. I, I bet like a kid. It's not about that. It's you know. More about taking pride in the analysis for me, I guess, if you want to even say that. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just like, oh crap, because I, I it bothered me because I saw the the pathway of the turtle. It's like there's something there, you know. He's a little too lackadaisical. And um, I didn't necessarily see that with Akhmadov, at least when he's fresh. Now when he's tired, it can get a little bit more sketchy. And Weidman sounds like he wants to get him there. And I like that. I like, you know, a guy who wants to break Akhmadov. But the problem is, I don't know if he or Aljo, who I love Aljo, and I think it's awesome that Aljo is doing Chris's, excuse me, strategizing for this fight. But I feel like it's like you're breaking down the old Omari, which I've made mistakes on both with my wallet and analysis. Because uh, he's the typical guy I want to fade for those reasons. Uh, that Chris was speaking of. But he kept burning me in his last few fights. And after Ian Heinish, who is like, in no way is he a back take, front choke, or submission threat like Weidman, which is something to keep in mind. However, he is one of the the, the, the top three middleweights as far as exposing guys with gas tanks. That that archetype. He's, he's, he's a top three tool as far as to <laughs> top three tool. Especially because I compare him to Sack from Wedding Crashers. I'm, I'm sorry, Governor. I don't know what got into me. I do large family breeding. Nature versus nurture. Nature always wins. Sorry, Jesus. There, the walking came back again. Christ, Dan. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, no. He is he is a top three tool in regards to breaking down fighters without gas tanks and. And that really didn't happen, you know. Even the one shot he did where you did see Omari get to a turtle, what does he do? He goes to the fence right away because he knows that, you know, to pry off the back takes. And then he, it's kind of funny because he's tired and it wasn't really energy efficient, but it's still like a better response than a Gastelum would do. And he goes in for the high crotch single and then just shrugs, uses his strength even tired and shrugs a giant middleweight and um, Heinish like halfway across the cage and resets. Um, but yeah, Omari is good at resetting. And, um, you know, Weidman's got a really interesting snatch single. Or even when he kind of does a weird double variation off of it, like he did in the Vitor fight back in the Dizze at 184, where it's almost like he, it's like a turtle sweep that I got from Eduardo Tellis, where if you can block the outside of their knee, you throw your hips to the outside, uh, to the far side of wh where you're blocking. Um, and it acts like a, a, a reverse double leg, and you, you're, you're knocking them over with your hips and ass. Um, except Weidman does it like in an open space. And timing something like that could get Akhmedov down. And if he's able to do it early, Akhmedov will be in trouble. 
However, still not guaranteed game over um, because Akhmadov, even though he comes from Mahachkala, Dagestan, which is more known for its wrestling or Wushu Sanda, he focused on the middle stuff. You know, uh, he's got Pancration titles, Combat Sambo Master of Sports and Accolades, Hand-to-Hand Combat Master of Sports and Accolades, which is a weird one. I'm admitted a little uh, flimsy on knowing what that one's all about, but... Guys like Rashid Magomedov, Goretz, um, is also a hand-to-hand guy for what it's worth. And he too, like Akhmedov, is a really good guy counter, counter-wrestling, counter-striking, and really punctuating and just almost can't miss with their left hand. They both have that for what that's worth. And we've seen what left hands can do to wide men. So um, win or lose, right? Um, again, you know... Granted, a lot of them were southpaws and that epic crazy run of southpaws he had. But uh, now he's got another orthodox fighter, and I don't know if that pans out for him any better, to be honest. Um, and I think Akhmedov's hardwired counters are going to be strong there for him. Um, you know, working at American Top Team, which, again, I, I'm not trying to cast shade on. I'm paying him a compliment, if anything, folks. I'm just saying they've got good strength and conditioning. They're getting results there, whatever's going on, right? Um, you look at like guys like Junior DeSantos, what he's looking like, um, and, and and so on and so forth. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on names. Alexi Olenek, who we just talked about, he's back in a prime shape. Um, and Amariak Madoff, you know, what was the common thread with those performances? He was that American top team. And even when you go look at the stats, I'm not a numbers guy, his output, both thrown and land, um, is only going upwards. It's not having a dip. Uh, which is a really good sign. Um, and Weidman, even when he was in his prime, wasn't really known for his gas tank. So that's kind of my problem with him going in with his mindset that he's going to do that. Um, and even though Akhmedov hasn't stopped anybody since 2013 in his UFC debut, or 2014, um, you could say that he was overdue. And similar to a guy we're about to talk about next, he was fighting in a weight class he shouldn't have been fighting in. I mean, Akhmedov's huge. I saw this guy in person. He looks like a heavyweight. Like, he should be fighting in middleweight. Um, which, again, Julian Marquez says, middleweights are heavyweights who cut weight. So now he's in the right weight class. Whereas Weidman cuts a lot of weight, man, and he hasn't been there in a while. And he's having to sit at this lower weight for a while. I don't know how that does for the head trauma. Um, and... Uh, and his big cuts, so we'll see. All right, next fight, Darren Stewart minus 150, Maki Batolo plus 130. Um, took Batolo on staff picks, and I like Darren Stewart, and he deserves credit for his improvements. He's made me money in his recent UFC win. I know he lost to Bartosz Fabinski in the Cage Warriors put-together show, but whether it's that fight, which he had a full camp for, or fights like early in his losing streaks that he didn't have a full camp for, I feel like Darren Stewart is a fighter that needs prep right? Whereas other fighters who kind of have that attitude intangible that show up to fight, Maki Patolo seems like he has that. And I look at his social media, he's on a mission, he's showing up to fight. His camp doesn't look too changed too much. He still has Yancey and his same crew in Hawaii. Whereas Darren Stewart, you know, it looks like he's had his crew, but the short notice fight, you know, I don't feel like he was in as good of a position to take it again. He's a guy that actually fought more than Weidman did at light heavyweight. And to be honest, probably is better suited, could probably have better success at light heavyweight, uh, especially given his takedown defense improvements. 
Uh, however, and I picked him for his takedown defense improvements, and even when he does get takedown, is his get-up improvements, right? Against a guy like Darren Wynn, who doesn't have a back take game, who wasn't going to be able to abuse that. So I took Darren Stewart all day. But Maki Patolo actually does. He doesn't have a rank in jiu-jitsu, but this guy's competed and gotten gold medals in Naga Nogi uh, no Expert, which isn't like world's IBB, IBJJF gear Nogi, but it's still impressive nonetheless because kind of like I said, what does it show? Like with the Jesse Ronson example, it shows that even if it's not the highest accolades, it shows they're putting the time in. And that time, more often than not, you pay off. And you see that Maki Patolo taking backs and this and that. And he's actually been, you know, he's gassed in certain fights, but that was at welterweight. Again, a weight class he shouldn't have been at. Um, yeah, he looks like a small middleweight, and that will probably bite him in the ass. Genetics aren't fair, folks. That being said, genetics aren't fair, and he is being legitimate. It's not just a fighter making excuses for what were bad losses or bad knockouts, even though it was a guy that he beat in Cassius Kane uh, going five rounds on short notice, you know? It, it, you know, Maki Patolo goes into the next fight with him because he's honorable and wants to give Cassius Kane a rematch because he took it on short notice as well. But he says the short notice fight made him fight smart almost, right? And and so I think he's got that Kevin Holland thing where, like, Kevin Holland gets his arm broken and then he fights smart pumping a jab and you're like, thank you, Kevin, finally. I think Maki Patolo's like that too. Whether it's fighting, you can blame it on fighting at a weight class he shouldn't be at or the stunts that he has pulled in the past. Um, I almost think guys like this perform better in short notice. And that Cassius Kane guy, by the way, is better than his record indicates. He's a legit Muay Thai fighter, legit heavy hands. Like He had three stoppage losses before that point uh, by submission uh, due to strikes, which you don't really see these days. Now, granted, that probably means he's fighting cans, but also that says a lot when you're making a guy realize he doesn't want to be there before he realizes he's supposed to not be there, you know? And it was the perfect shots. And again, he's not just talking shit. He was cutting way too much weight. That organization, those Cassius Kane fights happened and was Victory Fighting Championships. They do a really good job at weighing the fighters night of, uh, but before, you know, night of the fight and they're weighing weights. And Maki was weighing at like 168 or 170, but then he was ballooning back to 189 or 191, which meant he was averaging. 21 pounds of put back on that's insane folks and as a guy who hovers between your you know is is, is you know five nine closer to five ten um and you know and hovers around that same weight albeit not nearly athletic obviously just by looking at us but dude we us hawaiians were thick bone now it translates for power and hopefully chin for most of the time we'll see darren stewart could get the knockout here folks it's going to be live in the first round but if he doesn't i don't think darren stewart's going to have the gas tank because again not only is maki patolo a guy who perhaps does wet better without prep and is cutting less weight an angle that i'm looking to play here but on the other side darren stewart cuts a lot of weight and all those improvements that i gave him credit for that i made money from well what does darren stewart credit it to his cardio. And when I would do my social media studies before all those fights, you would see Darren Stewart. He's a guy that, first of all, he needs the six to eight weeks to make the weight. Second of all, in this iteration of his improvements, you're seeing him like wear heart monitors and all these things. Like, he's a guy that needs to like tally. He needs the full prep. 
He is getting none of that. And if you go to his Instagram now, he's like cutting like 20 pounds already before fight week. You could see it. He's even admitting in the captions like it's going to be a hard cut. I cut a lot of weight. I still got a lot to go. Like the battle's all about the weight cut. He's probably not even thinking about his opponent, especially due to the fact that he looks at his opponent. It's a guy that's been knocked out. It's a small Hawaiian. He's probably taking it lightly. So when Maki, when he, you know, this is one of those cases where it's like I almost want him to hit Maki because then it's like you either lose the bet right there. But if not, if Maki is still there, that's going to be bad for Darren Stewart and his mental psyche. And I think he's going to get broken. I think Maki's going to pull away with body work. He could be the first person to finish Darren Stewart. Wish the body again. I like to target guys that go to the body against fighters that cut a lot of weight, anyways. Which ding ding, this fight checks those boxes, especially under this. Spot, I feel like it makes Maki Patolo and his body work a lot livelier. All he has to do is not get knocked out. It's a very likely possibility, folks. Very likely possibility. That being said, if Maki's chin really is better, then he's going to be more comfortable at the apex. He's had to travel a lot less. He's already 2-0 and at the apex against middleweights. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be uh, part and parcel for the game for him. So I took Maki Patolo here. Uh, got a unit in plus 125 uh, plus 120 off made off one unit um but we'll see we'll see folks all right taking uh yana kunitskaya over Storyalenko, but this is on the avoid list uh, i just went back to refresh myself and i watched their last fights story and also i got in intrigued because i know Storyalenko had the stint on tough that was underwhelming but since then she's done like lethway and like more stand-up and muay thai and Yana's done like Taekwondo, Muay Thai, and amateur MMA, right? That's her thing. But she likes to dance and counter, and it's going to be a small ring where Storyalenko can just come forward and doesn't give a F about her face or her opponents, as you saw in her last Invicta fight. She can do it for five rounds. Um, and on the ground, I'm not sure she's going to have the wrestling to get it to the ground, much less get it to consistently against Yana. Um, but if she does, she will be the better ground fighter, most likely. So that's something to worry about, too. Basically, I could see uh, this, you know, Yana edging out two rounds. And it's like the Renault fight. She gets her face smashed and is trying to survive. But I wouldn't put any money on Yana. I wouldn't mind anybody sprinkling on the dog here. I think she's actually really live. Um, but yeah, I ended up picking Kunitskaya. Dariush minus 190, Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman plus 165. Um, I like Dariush here, man. I would have liked him more minus one if the line kept going down minus uh, 175 uh, further, but it ballooned back up to minus 190. So now it's more of like a parlay piece, which I'll probably attach him to someone for fun. I'll let you know if I do. But, uh, I like Benil. Uh, Hot Sauce Holtzman is a two and one against Southpaws, so we'll see how he does. Um, you know the loss is against their common opponent Daryush. That's kind of how I see this fight going. I don't know if Benil's going to get the finish, but I do see Benil having to um, get past uh, some turbulence because Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman hits hard and he's got good takedown defense. Um, he's quietly earned his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt because Jiu-Jitsu was the uh, gateway drug from hockey to mixed martial arts for him. So he actually started off in jiu-jitsu, 
So a lot of people underrate Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman's defense. And then he's working with a lot of good southpaws who are good gra- pressure grapplers from the more MMA-centric Byron Barberina to who is MMA-centric himself, but Salty Dog John Salter, who's a southpaw middleweight. So he's got big southpaws and big bodies and, and a decent camp, even though he's not working at the lab. He's working down south in North Carolina. Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman is. Um, that being said, Benil Daryush is a fully-fledged southpaw. You do got to worry about his chin, but as you can see, even when he gets rocked, he keeps his composure, and you can't get too excited like uh, the uh, MMA fighter built in a Build-A-Bear workshop Drukar Kalos did and got, got just, you know, smashed. Sorry, a girlfriend of mine used to say, he looks like he's a Build-A-Bear. <laughs> it's true, Team Build-A-Bear. You know, we have Team Spectrum on this podcast, we also have Team Build-A-Bear, which is a... Uh, you know, uh, Darren Wynn, uh, Drakkar Close, and uh, Devin uh, Brown Bear. Come on, Dev. Uh, Clark. Uh, Devin Clark. Team Build-A-Bear, baby. Um, but Benil Dar- Dariush can hold strong in those spots. I like his left hand. All that timing on the left hand. He changes it up. And I think it's going to be really good because even Jim Miller with just, I don't want to say the basic southpaw double attack. It's a goddamn good attack as a southpaw, goddammit. And I love Jim Miller. But even Jim Miller was able to give Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman problems because Scott always dips to that right side. He's got that Daniel Cormier thing where he's gonna he's he's a wrestle boxer who dips to that side. And so not only is it left sided attacks are gonna be extra potent against Scott, but from the southpaw stance, like we saw against Cormier with the kicks and whatnot, um, those are gonna be potent as well. Another thing that's gonna be potent about the southpaw stance is that as you saw with the Jim Miller fight, and by the way, it was a, I love Jim Miller, but it was a flat Jim Miller, and it was a Jim Miller who popped his knee, I think, in the first round. So it was essentially a one-legged Jim Miller. And, yes, yeah, it's, it's good to see a guy like Scott Hotsass Holtzman in his defense fighting more composed, and that's a fight where he should fight more composed. But he still gassed himself out, if you look at it. Not gassed himself out, but he, he was still clearly tired in the third round despite fighting composed and controlling the fight against a one-legged Jim Miller who came out flat. You know what I'm saying? And back to what I was saying about the southpaw stance is that Holtzman's a guy who loves to throw the, and I love it too, and I love to throw it against open stance. The problem is I'm a southpaw, so I'm used to throwing against an open stance matchup, and where, I know where the setups are, whereas Holtzman, who obviously kicked my ass, I'm not trying to compare us in that sense, folks. Apropos to the example I'm going to give, Holtzman, when he faces southpaws, that goes away for him, you know. And what I'm talking about is Holtzman likes to do the the, the slip uppercut hook tri- trigger. And that um, disappears for him against the southpaw stance. So he's out there just winging right hands. And he seems to have that mentality like Drakkar Close. He's like, I know he's got a trigger. I'm going to wing at him. I see opening. Like he's talking just like Drakkar Close. Like you're not going to learn off the other dude's lesson. Hopefully for his sake he does. But whether he does or doesn't, I still see Dariush outcrafting him. If Holtzman's not able to knock him out. And Darius was able to even take down good wrestlers like uh, Holtzman and whatnot. So even with Holtzman being underrated there, um, I still see Darius being able to get him down. Now Holtzman, like a lot of, like Barbarina, a lot of those lab guys, they're, they're, they're smart. They've got that cross-wrist control, uh, tripod, back-to-the-fence uh, get-up game uh, going that works really well for him. Like you saw Barb's doing against uh, Kobe Covington over and over again. Um, and I talked to Colby about that. That's a really good, effective getup, and Scott does the same thing. Uh, that being said, Daryush is a really crafty backtaker, man. Um, so he could get to some spots there too. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see 
Dariush finish this fight on the feet or on the floor. Um, that being said, I, I think it's going to be a hard-fought win, but I do got Dariush by decision. Um, I put him in something later. Uh, Lariano Staropoli, minus 135. The Argentine uh, police officer. I'm a cop, you did. Uh, against Tim Dirty Bird Means, plus 115. You know, this is the first time I'm picking against Tim Means, folks. You know I love Tim Means. Uh, but uh, Tim Means, by the way, 1-2 and two against Southpaws. Um, hold on. I'm going to pause right quick. All right, sorry about that. Loriano Stratopol. Yeah, picking up against Tim Means for the first time, man. Skinny, who looks like, uh, I know we got Slippery Pete coming up, but he looks like Skinny Pete from Breaking Bad if you plugged him into the Matrix. Oh, no, Kung Fu. For the last time, no, you don't. Uh, uh, you know, Matrix Machine, that's like Tim Means, man, you know. Um, and I've never picked against him, but, man, he's just we've been seeing signs of just looking shot and slow and i know he had a really bad camp last one a lot of personal tragedies you know dan tom's sympathetic to that but as he's you know doing the interview i believe with james lynch and he's just like you know and yeah that's what happened last time and he goes and this time around well shit it's a lot of the same thing plus a pandemic now <laughs> so it's even worse and like the Jaron gordons of the world you know my heart is with these guys who just have bad luck man and just can't shake it um, believe me, Dan Tom sympathizes with that. So I'm going to be rooting for Tim Means here. Um, this is the first time I'm picking against him. And with the line keeping on going down from minus 135 to almost minus 125 at one point, part of me was thinking of taking a chance on Loriano Staropoli. Uh, however, he hasn't really faced a committed grappler. Now, uh, Tiago Alves has underrated takedowns, and I believe he tried to shoot a couple but Alves isn't one to really hold position or threaten with submissions. So not a great test there. So he hasn't had that. And Means does have underrated grappling, man. Um, he, he is that kind of that catch wrestling style too, which I love. And a lot of his main training partners was wrestlers. He's got a chip on his shoulder by getting submitted after being rocked by another southpaw. And Daniel Rodriguez, who, as we now know, is no joke. That guy's that guy's no joke. So you can't condemn him off that. However, it's more off of the age and the the tread, the shape that Tim Means looks in, looking to be in lately. Just all the signs are there, man. And I want to believe him and root and I'm rooting for him and I, I hope he does well. Um, and between my love for Means and the possibility of him, you know, taking him to the ground kept me away from playing Staropoli. Good luck if you are. Uh, I'm still gonna pick Staropoli to win. Um, but uh, I'm rooting for Tim Means, and I stayed away. Um, I, and I would say the under will be worthy too, but the Staropoli guy looks tough, and let's say he can't take it down. Like I could see Tim Means winning a decision, or I could see him losing a decision too. Um, so I actually stayed away from the under. Same with the Holtzman Dariush. I was thinking maybe the under is a way to play it. Um, you know, you're getting plus money for two and a half, but then I'm like, no, I'm betting that. Dariush, you know, doesn't get knocked out. And um, I don't know if he finishes Holtzy. So, you know, you're getting plus money for Holtzy. You might as well play Holtzy to win uh, if you're looking for that plus money angle. Um, but, yeah, so taking Staropoli. By the way, quickly on Benil, I wrote, Benil apologizes to Courtney Casey. Dude, it's crazy. He looks like he's in, like, in a fury. Like, you know, he, he bypasses the commentators, the matchmakers, and that's where fighters usually go, like, yeah, yeah, you see that, you know, when they're acknowledging it. And Benil, like, walks after, like right by them after he knocks out Dracar Close, um, who 
I think him and recent Courtney Casey are a recent item. And you see him like what he is locking eyes with is Courtney Casey, and he's like, uh, and then he, when he gets her attention, he's going, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And she's like, "You see her, but I'm like, no, no, don't worry. It's part of part of business. She knows, right?" And it was just so heartwarming. And like, Vanille's such a nice guy. He's got that Glover. He's got that Glover to share a attitude where he's just making sure, you know, he he's the man, but he's making sure everybody else is fucking okay. You know, I love that. I love that man. Um, Kevin Holland minus four forty. Jaqueen Buckley plus three fifty. Did no tape study on this. Taking Holland. Um, I mean, unless you're doing like degenerate five leg parlay shit. I mean, yeah, not much to say there. This week on Hack, Nasrag Hackparaz minus two forty. Uh, Alex Munoz plus two hundred. Um, so I paired Hack at plus two forty and Darius minus one ninety for, or minus two forty and minus one ninety for some plus, uh, some plus money uh, action at one unit. Um, but I'm admittedly not as confident, and that's why I didn't make the plays for this one because we don't know where Alex Munoz is at. You know, he looks older, but he's thirty. He's only fought, you know, annually in the last three years, but he's also, you know, an OKC, you know, wrestler, Oklahoma State, or an Oklahoma State wrestler, I should say. Um, not Oklahoma City, Oklahoma State wrestler, um, OSU. And um, <clears throat> what did we go to OSU for, Johnny? Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, under the care of Team Alpha Male and Faber and stuff, so I'm sure he's getting training. So we don't know. He just appears to be a southpaw who can counter. He's got the power and the scrambling and submission savvy to get things out in the first round if you give it to him. Otherwise, he's going to counter, and it looks like he can do it. Um, although his pace, you know, uh, is suspect because he's a pretty explosive guy, so maybe that's why he likes to sit back and counter. Maybe that was his wrestling style. I didn't go back and watch. He does have experience against fellow southpaws. This will be a southpaw versus southpaw matchup. You know, he beat Nick Newell, whereas... Hack, in order to reach these kids, Hack um, has only faced uh, Drew Dober, which he lost to, and it was a short fight. So hard to say how these guys are going to do in the fully-fledged Southpaw matchups should they get fully fleshed out into three rounds, right? We'll see. Um, I, I like Hack Brass. You know, that's a guy I've been high on even... Even when he, you know, coming in against Marcin Held where he lost, I was telling you guys this could be somebody good. Um, that being said, I don't know how good a shape he's going to be in because I think his pace is going to win here, and I think he's going to have to get past. It's going to be an entertaining first round, and Hawk Pras is going to pull away. I don't think he finishes Munoz. And unless Munoz catches him clean, which he can, I don't think he finishes Hack Parast. Um... So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not fucking with either of these over unders either. Um, I took Hack. He's way overpriced. Admittedly, I like him, but not knowing what Andrews or not knowing what Munoz is going to bring, it makes it really tough to tell you to be confident. Like I said, Hack did this whole camp in Germany. He wasn't at TriStar. Um, <clears throat> tough to say, folks. Tough to say. So I, I took Hack and I fucked around and I paired him with Daryush for my Middle Eastern parlay. See, I got love for the Middle East, even though I'm doing the old <laughs> don't let the Durka Durka Team America jokes fool you. I got love for my brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Believe, you best believe. Uh, this is the Middle Eastern parlay, baby. Um, so, uh, yeah, whatever. 
not telling you to jump off the cliff with me. Wellington Terman, minus 155. Andrew Sanchez, plus 135. This was one I was looking to play. Uh, I'm still picking Terman, but I, I stayed away. I think the over is probably just going to be worth it if you're looking to like parlay something for some degen. Um, because, I mean, good luck if you're playing Terman too. Or Sanchez, by the way. If you believe Sanchez is going to put it together. You know, um, shout out to thefightsite.com. Who was it? If was oh, it was Danny Martin uh, read, a, read a good site about or a good article about you know um, styles and whatnot and like particularly the part of the article was um, just about like how you know uh, fighters developing uh, playing against their style and how thing how, you know the camp aspect and I've spoken a, a little bit about that when it comes to certain fighters before but. That's an admitted not specialty of mine, and I, I try not to to paint with a broad a broad brush, so to speak. But Danny Martin does an excellent job citing examples um, of that, and I just couldn't help but think of that article when I was looking at Andrew Sanchez and listening to his interview with James Lynch, where he was talking about last fight. Which, in his credit, you know, he does he did better than I thought. And I think a lot of people would give him credit for or thought he was going to do against a guy like Marvin Vittori, especially a pace guy like that, right? Um, which is probably why a lot of us are picking Wellington Terman, because he seems to have all the um, all the pace and all the uh, uh, magma fuel. Shout out to the MMA Analysis Podcast for that reference. Um, you know, f- coursing through his veins. But Andrew Sanchez h- held strong against Marvin Vittori, a guy who I'm very high on. Showed some things that he was working on in the boxing department. Uh, showed some of his you know almost karate centric kicking style, which I really liked in the past, but. For energy efficiency purposes, he's kind of shelved for the most part. I don't disagree with. Um, but it's interesting. Does he wrestle and gas himself out because he's the better wrestler? Um, or because Terman's going to force him to wrestle. And then does Terman start winning out the grappling exchanges from, you know, round two on? You know, which is kind of how I see this fight going. But, you know, Terman's young and Sanchez, I'm not willing to put dirt on his grave yet. Um you know, the All-American. Uh, he's got a lot of wrestling creds and, and competitive grappling creds, so he's not going to be a slouch against the brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Wellington Terman, who is just a pressure-fighting machine. But, yeah, I'm going to take Terman here. Um, I stayed away from play. Good luck if you played it. Um, Gavin Tucker. Tucker. Listen, Tucker. Uh, as I think about the, uh, what was it, Whiplash. Great movie. 125, my boy Justin James opened at plus 185, now down to plus 105. Uh, I'm biased here, so that's why I didn't really put it in the uh, plays list for line movement. That and then the public, which makes me nervous because I'm usually fading, y'all, um, is running with my boy Justin. Maybe they listened after last time. Uh, I was able to grab him at plus 165, but that was like on Sunday when I noticed people were already chasing that line down, which was crazy. So that has me worried more than anything. Um, Gavin Tucker, though, is a crafty southpaw. It's going to be a tough first round. He could spark off Janes. You know, we've seen, you know, uh, when Janes has been, you know, TKO'd um, and stopped in his amateur career. Like, I was at that fight, and I believe it was a southpaw as well. But it was the classic um, knee to the head kick, where you go for the head kick and you get hit with a knee. It's one of the most devastating finishes. Um, I saw someone take one of those recently, too, by the way, and I was like, holy crap. 
He took that. Maybe it was Dariush. Uh, yeah, probably, actually, in his last fight, I want to say. Either way, um, that's what it was, was with Justin James. So unless it's like something like crazy like that, um, I don't see him knocking Justin James out, even in the first round. And I don't see him submitting him either. Gavin Tucker, Henzo Gracie, Black Belt. But Justin James doesn't have ranks listed. He doesn't tout ranks. I'm not sure if he ever tried to get re-ranked after fall has passed. But put it this way. I don't know who gave it to him, but when I I first started seeing Justin James in 2009, but as early as 2010, 2011, so practically 10 years ago, Justin James had a brown belt and was beating the crap out of black belts who fought professionally, we'll just say. It was a normal occurrence in the gym fucking 10 years ago. Um, so he is easily at a black belt level plus the MMA-centric grappling and the growing up wrestling since he was a little boy and wrestling at a collegiate level. Yeah. I don't think he's losing out the grappling exchanges, folks. Especially the wrestling part, the portions of it. Um, you know, unless he gets stung and clubbed and subbed or something, like with something like crazy, then yeah, it's, I don't see it happening. Um, I feel like losing a decision is more likely if Justin James comes out flat. Um, he's going to make the weight, but... I got to imagine he's killing himself to do it. The weight cuts were really tough. Um, on 45, it looked like he's a guy who really needed it. Again, he, sh you know, he looks like he should be more fit to 45, but he's also, again, folks, he's 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 kind of short, you know, stubby. It, it accounts for chin and power <laughs> and stupid strength, um, but you know that's the trade-off. But yeah, he's. I, I would like to see him go back up to 55, regardless how this fight goes. Uh, that being said, I'm still picking him to win here. I just feel like a decision. If Gavin Tucker can keep in rhythm, keep in his jazz bath rhythm, rhythm, and keep uh, keep uh, off beating, uh, throwing Jane's off. Otherwise, I see Jane's being able to uh, bully Gavin, um, probably by decision. But um, if he gets a stoppage here, people shouldn't be surprised either. Jane's is a is a bad dude. Um. So I'm gonna. I took a shot on Justin James. I'm biased. I don't jump off the cliff. And I like Gavin Tucker, man. He was another guy who I was touting before he made his debut, and he came in. You know, people were questioning that. You know, should he have been, albeit slightly favored, over Sam Cecilia? He showed why. He was styling and profiling. Um. So I love Gavin Tucker as well, folks. But but taking James, uh, Yusuf Zalal minus four thirty and slippery Pete Barrett. Plus 345. I like the Peter Barrett, man. I really do. Personality. Seems like I'm from a similar age and class of type of type of guy that I am. I can relate. Uh, I don't know. It just I, it seems like a guy I'd be partying with for sure. In high school or now. <laughs> that being said, it's hard to go against the well-rounded Yusuf Salal. Uh, I like the way he sounds in interviews as well. He's a humble kid. Purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They're both purple belts. Um, be interesting to see him tangle. I think it should be a fun fight. I don't know about being this wide, but uh, I'll take Zalal. I admittedly did not refresh myself with footage, so that'll be uh, on the avoid list for me for those reasons, price and and, and prep. Both not there. Erwin um, Rivera, um, who was a regional champ. Uh, fuck, what, what did he fight for? Was it 
Cage Warrior, not Cage Warrior, CFFC, I forget, against Ali Al-Casey, plus 155. Um, shout out to Farah who did a great spotlight article on Junkie, I believe, uh, on this gentleman. The first first person from Jordan, I believe. Um, came up doing traditional martial arts kung fu, parlayed to that in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a purple belt. And before you scoff at that, I will say Kevin Holland himself, who is smarter than he seems, also went the same route. And I actually talked to him about that. I go, you've got a really good flow to your jiu-jitsu, man. Um, and granted, he's got uh, Travis Luter as his coach, which probably doesn't hurt having a, a good coach, an experienced coach. But I asked him, being a kung fu and jiu-jitsu uh, guy who has experience in kung fu and jiu-jitsu myself, it's like, you know, this not to get woo-woo, but if there's anything that does trans- translate, it's the symbiotic flow and understanding body movement from just having bodies tangle and strike at you so much and kung fu. Um, that's got to translate to the jiu-jitsu with the way you apply it. Um, you really flow well and you understand that. It's, it's apparent. And Kevin Holland, instead of looking at me like crazy, like most of you probably should after hearing that, Kevin Holland knew exactly what the fuck I was talking about, which was refreshing. Um, especially for a guy who almost has an affront attitude, you know? You know, the sky is red attitude. This want to get smacked by the smack man. Smack man. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we'll see if that happens for Al I. Casey, but uh, I'll pick Erwin Rivera here. It could be a, a spot to play in hindsight. I, I admittedly didn't do study on either of these gentlemen. So yeah, all right, going to recap from top to bottom. How did I do on time there? Eh, over an hour, not what I like, but okay. Taking, yeah, baby, uh, Derek Lewis over Alexi Sexy Olenek. Uh, taking Omari Ugh, made off Durka Durka over the All-American Chris Weidman taking Maki Patolo over Darren Stewart taking Yana Kunitskaya or as I like to say Mama Kunitskaya over Easy Dance Day on target over Julija Stadielenko as I brutalized that name taking Benil Fields Daryush over Scotty Holtzman taking Lariano Starapoli over Tim Means. Taking Kevin Smackman Holland over Jaquim Buckley. Taking this week on Hack. Nasrak Hackpress over Alex Munoz. Taking Wellington Terman over Andrew El Dirte Sanchez with a mullet. Who sounds Canadian now. I don't like his interviews. He's been he's been up in Montreal too long. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, I'm just saying. Uh taking Justin James over Gavin Tucker. Taking Yusuf Salau over Slippery Peter Barrett. Taking Erwin Rivera over Ali Al-Kaisi. Parlay Dariushin hacked for fun at plus 1.30 for a unit. Don't have to follow me off that cliff. Played James at a unit plus 165. You can still get him at plus 105. Played Ahmedov plus 121 unit. Uh, as well as Patolo, plus 125 for one unit. For in-depth explanations, go to linemovement.com for my article there. Props. Hack Munoz over. Minus 145 actually looks playable. Um, is it still there? Yeah, I didn't even realize that. It's still there. That actually looks like more of a playable angle. I might hedge if uh, Hack Press fails. Maybe I'll play that too. Yeah, fuck it. Sorry for the potty mouth. I'm putting a... Uh, Three-quarter you want right now. Um, and then nothing else in the props. I didn't like any of the unders. Um, 
avoid lists Zalal Barrett, Louis Olenek, and Storyalenko uh, Kunitskaya. Although, you know, it's that's Dogger Pass territory. All right, thanks for joining me, folks, on my birthday. Sorry it was late, but it's my birthday. I'll be late if I want to. Good luck on your picks and plays, and always protect your next.